Thank you, Mandy. How are you guys doing today? It's good to be here on this chilly uh, uh, Sunday morning. Uh, like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time. I see some new faces here this morning, so glad to have you here with us. And also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website and through our podcast. We're also glad you're listening to us and you're welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday uh, mornings. Well, have you, ever, have you ever listened to somebody try to tell your story? Uh, I sometimes get the opportunity to speak at different places and people introduce me or I overhear at some points people trying to tell my story. And some people get it right, people that really, really know me or people that are really good listeners, but I often overhear people really messing up my story. And sometimes they start by messing up my name. This is Gino Olson. And when I correct them, one lady even asked me, are you sure? And I said, no, it's Allison. She said, are you sure? <laughs> well, let me check my driver's license. Maybe I've been writing it and saying it wrong all these years. But messing up my story. Ah, Gino, he was born and raised here in Homewood. No, I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. His, this is his wife, Sharon. And all people are asking, did something happen between you and your first wife? Who is, who is Sharon? No, this is my wife, Shannon. Uh, people often mess up my story, and I'm sure the same is true with you. And this just kind of drives home this whole idea that nobody can tell your story better than you, Right? They can try. If they really know you, they can probably get close. But the intimate details, the emotion that's wrapped up in your story can only be really told exceptionally well uh, by you. And so some of you who aren't good at much, maybe you're not good at sports, maybe you're not good at writing or public speaking, all these things you kick yourself for not being that good at, you, you can rest in knowing that you are probably the best at telling your story. Put that on the top of what you're good at uh, this morning. That particular detail about us is super important as we talk about the subject of evangelism. If you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we've been, uh, we, we've been in the midst of a series that we're simply calling Go Tell It. And this is a series that focuses on the subject of Christian evangelism. Evangelism, simply put, it's telling others about the hope that we found in Jesus, right? Telling others in varying ways about the hope that we found in Jesus. And many, many people find this to be super scary. Evangelism. There's like gory horror movies, and then there's evangelism. Talking to people about Jesus, being that guy or gal that just won't shut up about faith, that's willing to stand up and stand out, to many of us, the subject is terrifying. Um, but hopefully what we've squared away in our hearts as followers of Jesus, I, I understand in the room this size that not everybody identifies as a follower of Jesus. We're certainly glad you're here. We don't force you into a peg that you don't fit in. But many of us as followers of Jesus, we've received and we've heard, we've understood the mandate that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples. And going and making disciples involves telling God's story, proclaiming the good news about the gospel. Paul says famously in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because this is the power of God 
at work. We talked about last week how we're called to be salt and light, to be world changers, not in a grand, you know, huge uh, sense, but we're called to change uh, the little slice of life that God has given us to steward. We're called to be salt in the little slice of life, light in the little slice of life that God has given us to steward. And so the goal of this series is to help us gain some measure of confidence in sharing the gospel, but also to create a sense of urgency for it as well. We've gotten really complacent about it. Some of us say, I'll get to it. If, I, if, if the conditions are just right, maybe I'll share. But to create a sense of urgency, as this is what we are called to do. I started this series a few weeks ago by talking about the bad news. The gospel means good news, but in order to appreciate the good news, you have to understand the bad news, that we're broken, sinful, selfish. And while we're still in that state, Christ came and died for us, redeemed us, and now we're his. Last week, I spent some time talking about having a Christ-like fragrance, right? Smelling like Christ, of course, in a figurative sense, such that when you walk into a room, when you walk into the slice of life that God has given you to steward, people identify you as a follower of Christ, and your life is pleasing to the Lord, a Christ-like fragrance. I've heard some of you using that language this week, and it, was, it just blessed me. Let me know people aren't sleeping during my, at least not everybody's sleeping during my messages. And when I hear stuff like this, it's like bringing an apple to the teacher. I love to hear those of you paying attention. And this week, I want to continue by talking about the power of our story. I'm simply calling this message this morning, Go Tell Your Story, And what I want to drive home this morning is that there was power in your story. It's hard to argue with your story. It's not impossible. Some people will argue with you about the details of your story. I didn't say it's impossible. I say it's hard to argue with you about your story. It's hard for you to argue with me about my story. And besides, we've already established that it's likely the case that nobody can quite tell your story like you. Nobody can quite tell what God has done for you and what he's brought you from and what he's yet bringing you from. Nobody can quite tell that like you. I also want to just highlight as we process this, as it can be quite a bit of insecurity surrounding this, because we live in a culture that really uses shame uh, to push people into quiet corners, particularly as it relates to the past and their history and their brokenness, what they've been delivered from, and even what they're presently being delivered from. And so many of us draw back from telling our stories because there's some elements of our story that we'd rather keep secret. Uh, There's some elements of our story that might cause people to draw away from you or to judge you, Um, And so there's shame associated with it. And uh, some of us might also draw back, as I used to draw back, because there's some insecurity in our story because our story isn't dramatic. You know, we haven't been shot seven or eight times. You know, we haven't been to prison. You know, we don't have this really dramatic story. And so if you're just a preacher's kid, straight-laced kid who followed the rules and, you know then you're just like, do I have a story? Like, do I have a testimony? And the Lord really uh, freed me from just some insecurity regarding that. But there's power in our story. And God really uses our story as one of the unique tools to spread the gospel. And I want to unpack that here this morning. I want to look at a passage of Scripture briefly, Luke chapter 8. If you would turn there with me this morning, Luke chapter 8. There are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those this morning. Um, feel free to take a Bible with you if you don't have one that you can understand. Um, 
And you can also follow along on your tablets and on your phones. That's totally okay here. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens. Luke chapter 8, we'll start at verse 26. While you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand before your people and bring the word this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather here in uh, one of America's cities and worship you without fear of being rounded up like some of our brothers and sisters in other countries. Lord, I thank you for the freedom to worship you as we, as we pre please. Lord, that is truly a gift and it's a privilege and we don't take it lightly. And so, Father, we've come, gather around your table, knowing that you've prepared a feast for us. Um, Lord, and we just ask that as you set the table, we gather around and we consume whatever you set before us today. Would you just set the table for us this morning? And Lord, we, we, we will eat the sweets and we'll eat our vegetables as well this morning. Would you just set the table for us? Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Uh, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Luke chapter 8, we're talking about the power of our story. Message is called Go Tell Your Story. I want to start in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. So they, Jesus and his entourage, they arrived in the region of Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of a boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For, for a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of town. This story is interesting already. Verse 28, as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Verse 33, Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to nearby towns in the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, No, go back to your family and what? Tell them everything God has done for you. I'll read that again. Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus has done for you. For him. Now, this is a fascinating story uh, that contains an encounter that this demon-possessed man had with Jesus. And this man was changed uh, forever uh, because of this encounter with Jesus. 
And forever, this unique, liberating encounter with Jesus is now a part of his story. Now, my intention today isn't to give you a discourse on demon and demon possession. Um, We don't have nearly enough time for that. That's an entirely different message. But if I didn't pause here and just kind of discuss this just for a minute or two, uh, the demons would sort of be the elephant in the room, and it'd be hard for you guys to focus on much that I'm saying. And so I do just want to park here and say that demons are legit. And if they existed in the ancient world, they exist now. Now, if you grew up like me, you grew up in a church that uh, had a healthy respect for the spirit world, but took this kind of to a little bit of an extreme. As kids, my, 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 my uh, adult siblings now, we joke that our, our parents kind of went overboard with this whole demon thing. Everything uh, was demonic. You know, there was whole lists of things that we couldn't do or engage because it was demonic. As we got older, we started to figure out that only the expensive things were demonic. <laughs> You know, we couldn't get the Count Chocula cereal because it was demonic. We just started to figure out that it was $4 a box, and that maybe the, the devil has expensive taste. I don't know, because he only seemed to latch on to things that were really expensive, you know. You couldn't get Lucky Charm. We're blessed, you know. We're not lucky. No, it's, it's $4 a box. That's what it is. But it, <laughs> in all seriousness... What, I ha- what, what I'm grateful for, though, through that upbringing is to have a healthy uh, respect, not a fear, but a healthy respect for the spirit world, particularly the kingdom of darkness. As I often say, as we go through our life as followers of Jesus, you know, it's kind of like when I used to play football. You know, on Thursdays before the game, we wouldn't have any contact. And so there wouldn't be a defense on the other side of us. And we would just sort of tick off these plays. They would, the guy would just trap, and the quarterback had all sorts of time to throw the ball. The, the, the plays were just ex- executed pristinely, right? But then those other days of practice, and especially when we played the game on Friday, there was another team on the field, and those plays didn't quite you know, go off so smoothly all the time. In the same way, as it relates to the kingdom of darkness, we should consider that there's another team on the field. Um, And while the, the negative spirit world deserves our respect, we shouldn't go about fearing it because the enemy has been defeated. And we have, like Jesus demonstrates, authority over Satan and his demons, and we need not be looking for a demon under every rock, but this is super legit. I've had the privilege of casting demons out of people, and some of them were super simple, where it was just mellow, and the demons just left. And other times, it was an hours-long deal, where me and a couple of friends just prayed for hours for freedom for those who are bound by demonic oppression. This is legitimate. And so we see this particular instance where this guy has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates his power, but he also gives this guy an amazing story An amazing story, and as we look at this amazing story, I want to pull out three relevant aspects of this story that are super helpful for us, especially as we wrap our hearts and our minds around what it means to tell our story. So there's three things that I want to highlight. The first is I want to highlight this guy's issues. His issues. He's much like us because we all have issues. And if you think you don't have issues, you've got bigger issues... than we originally thought. He's got some serious issues. 
And Luke just sort of runs down his issues. Jesus climbing out of the boat. Demons that possess man comes to meet Jesus. Tells us that he's been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of town. Spirits would take control of him, verse 29. And even though he's placed under guards and chains, he would just sort of be overtaken. He'd break the chains, wander out into the uh, wilderness, completely under the demon's power. For he was filled, the scripture says, with many demons. His issues, he was demon-possessed, afflicted. And this affliction would make a fool out of him, such that he wore no clothes, wasn't living at home with his family, wasn't leading a normal life. He was living instead in the tombs. And whenever the enemy wanted to seize him and take control of him, the demons would seize him, and he would have these fits. He was uh, in chains and driven to solitude. Now think about the relational implications. He wasn't living at home. He wasn't able to be in normal contact with people. Think about the emotional implications of having your life disrupted by these demons. Think about the vocational implication. He was unable to work. He wasn't employable and therefore likely could not make a living. Think about the spiritual implications of having your body that wasn't made to be, you know, consumed and filled to the brim with demons, but rather filled with the Spirit of God. Think about the spiritual implications. This guy had issues. And you might say, how am I supposed to relate to this? naked, demon-possessed man wandering, you know, in and out of the tombs and in chains. Here's how we relate. We all have issues. We all have issues. Some really profound, pronounced issues, some of us subtle yet very present. I often say that we all have skeletons, but not all of us have closets large enough to stow them. And so maybe your wealth and your intellect and maybe your circle of friends that have gotten good at stowing your skeletons for you might trick you into thinking that you don't have any, but I know better. And frankly, I know you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person next to you. You've got issues, man. You've got issues. Now, depending on who we are, our place and station in life, our issues are unique to our situation. But here's something that we all have in common. What we have in common is that our issues are all distractions. All of our issues are distractions. They're great, elaborate distractions that threaten to keep us from being who God called us to be. They're distractions that keep us from doing what God has called us to do. There are distractions that keep us preoccupied with our issues and the maintenance and the details and or the hiding of our issues such that we have no emotional or spiritual bandwidth to do and be who God called us to be. We have issues. These issues are distraction and maybe it's sin. Maybe it's some demonic oppression. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a hang-up. But it's something that we carry. It's an issue of ours. And the, lo- the, the, the enemy loves to see us saddled with issues. Doesn't care if you go to church. Doesn't care if you go to small group. Especially ones that aren't leaning into this. Especially ones that aren't contending for freedom and wholeness and hope and challenging you with the Word of God. Doesn't mind you going to church as long as you can just keep your nursing your issue, keeps hiding your issue, 
and stowing it away and, and being comfortable with it. As long as you make some warm nook in your heart for this issue, you don't care anything about you going through the Christian motions because he loves to distract you. Some of our issues tell us we're not good enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not thin enough, that we're not successful enough. And it's a distraction because if you can't see yourself how God sees you, then you won't do what God has called you to do. And if you're bound by the kingdom of darkness, then you're not pushing back the kingdom of darkness, which is one of the things that we're called to do, to contend for hope healing and to push back the kingdom of darkness. If you're hooked up with the kingdom of darkness, if you're tangled up in it, then you won't oppose it, and the enemy has us right where he wants us. And if you're hurting people, and if your issues cause you to hurt people, then you're not helping people, which is what we're called to do. Then all of a sudden, our issues are a lot bigger than we thought they were. All of a sudden, they're not just these nuisances that, you know, kind of annoy us like little flies. These are things that completely neutralize our kingdom, destiny, and purpose, who God called us to be. And these are serious things that deserve our attention. And so the best thing that could ever happen to this man was for Jesus to step off that boat. Because Jesus see him, sees him harassed, helpless. Jesus is, is a sucker for somebody who's broken and bound by issues. He just can't walk past it. Can't walk past it. So the best thing that could ever happen to this man is that Jesus get off the boat. And for us, the best thing that could happen to us is for us to encounter Jesus. And so something amazing happens. As this guy is going along his issue-written life, God's story is traveling along the path that it's been traveling along from the very beginning of time, and something happens. This guy's story and God's story meet. And at the intersection of your story and God's story, something wonderful happens. And in this guy's case, we're talking about his story right now, in this guy's case, the guy receives, the second thing that I want to highlight, his deliverance. His deliverance. And deliverance simply means to be rescued from something, right? To be set free from some things. And this guy is traveling along. His story intersects with God's story. He receives deliverance. Verse 29 tells us that Jesus had commanded the evil spirits to come out of him. And in this bizarre thing about these pigs, the evil spirit comes out. I don't have time to touch that today. But the spirits come out of this guy, and they go into these pigs, and the pigs go over the deal. Either way, the man is free. And lots of people see this, verse 34, and they fled into nearby towns, surrounding countryside, spreading the news that they, uh, as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, get this, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Now, we're reading this from a distance. We might go, this is Jesus. He did a miracle. You should celebrate. I would probably be behind my wife somewhere making sure everything was okay. This is bizarre. This is strange. 
And while I don't have time to unpack all of that, what we know is that this guy was delivered. Delivered from a really profound set of issues that have kept him stuck in the same place, acting a fool for many, many years. And what we discovered that this guy's issues, much like our issues, are no match for the power of Jesus. The inbreaking power of the kingdom of God, your issues, and this is good news for somebody today because you felt like your stuff is insurmountable, but I tell you, truth of this story, your issues are no match for Jesus. Because what deliverance looked like for this man was that he regained his ability to focus on what was most important. And that, of course, is Jesus. And that is, of course, as we'll see as we journey through this, what Jesus has for him to do in the earth. Deliverance for him and deliverance for us is the ability to not have our focus and our energy and our emotional and spiritual bandwidth hijacked by something other than what God wants us to do. And so these demons were a hindrance. They would seize him whenever they wanted to, and they would cause him to act a fool and be isolated from everybody. And Jesus dealt with, in delivering him, zeroed in on the very things that were robbing him of focus and his willingness, you know, willful ability to zero in on Jesus. And this, this helps us to frame deliverance because some of us, we, we feel like deliverance is this sort of wand of perfection that gets waved over our lives. The old folks used to say, when I got saved, I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. And I'm looking at those feet. Those feet don't look new. (laughs) This is not how this works. You don't get a new set of hands or feet, maybe when we get to glory, but that's not how this works. There's no wand of perfection that is waved over your life. And the truth is, some of us will meet Jesus and still have to deal with some really unfortunate sets of circumstances. Can we just be real about that today? And so, so deliverance may not ring true for you today because you, you might be still sick in your body. You might be, you know, wearing a hat today because the chemotherapy has robbed you of all of your hair and yet you're in Christ. You might be in here today and you, you, you're overcome with emotion as we've had a bit of a baby boom here and you've had your second or third miscarriage. This and like the, the, that's the not yet of the kingdom, right? That hasn't happened for you yet. And so you're like, well, I haven't been delivered. I'm not able to focus. It hasn't happened for me. My prayer list hasn't been there. And so this might not ring true for you uh, because we don't have the same working definition as Jesus has about what it means to be delivered. And so I would suggest to you that what true deliverance means is that whatever our issue is, yes, it might be removed like the demons were removed. Yes, you might be healed, as many have been healed because we prayed and contended for healing. Yes, your situation might be changed, and that might be your picture of deliverance, but some of us are here, and we've been delivered, and the thing's still there. It's just been taken out of the center of your life. It's just been taken off the throne of your heart. You've you've released the reins. You've snatched back the steering wheel so that thing just can't seize you whenever it wants to. It just can't come and disrupt your life and throw you into a fit of anger or grief whenever it wants to. That's what what 
deliverance and freedom has looked like for some of you, and yet you still have to deal with the sickness, and yet you still have to deal with a fractured marriage, and you still have to deal with wayward children, and you still have to deal with this, that, and the other, but it doesn't control you like it used to. Relational status might be the same, not, might not be married yet, or you might still be married. The taste for that thing that you used to be addicted to might still be in your mouth. You might still have to put the filter on the computer because you, you know, over 30 years you've developed a taste for, you know, pornography. And so the taste is still there, but it's not at the center of your life. You've been delivered, you see? And some of you, the some major consequences of actions that, you, you know, decisions you've made long ago have still come to bear in your life because that's kind of how this works. And so you still have to deal with the consequences, the ripple effects of the, you know, the pebble that you threw into that pond. It's still rippling, but it's not at the center of your life. It doesn't seize you whenever it wants to seize you. This is not a wand of perfection. And you've probably figured this out if you walk with Jesus for more than two minutes. Well, heroes of the faith from David to Paul to Abraham have had to deal with our issues and deal with our stuff, but they triumph over those things as God is powerful to deliver them. Receive freedom in Christ, and it's what this man has received. And many of you here, part of your story that you've been sitting on for all these years you can tell powerful stories of Christ's deliverance if you begin to see deliverance the way that God sees it. So we've already dealt with his issue. We spent a little bit of time talking about his deliverance and therefore our deliverance. And the third thing that I want to pull out of this particular passage is that God gives him his assignment. We got issues. Jesus deals with his issues, but there's an assignment that follows these issues, and his is similar to ours. Verse 38, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. Jesus, take me with you. I want to go and do the crusades with you. I want to do the big dates with you. Let's go Benny Hinn style, and I can come out and tell my testimony, and we can just slay him. Let's do it. I want to go with you. But Jesus sent him where? Home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So we went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done. It was fascinating that Jesus didn't say, now go to Bible school, get two years of that on your belt, and we can go tear it up. Go to the school of kingdom ministry, learn how to do this, that, and the other, and learn how to interview demons and all that sort of stuff, and then we can, I can really use you. Or right away, just fresh off your testimony, will kill on the speaking circuit. Come with me, and we can just tear it up for the kingdom. He says, go home. Yeah, I got a ministry for you. I got, a, I got an awesome assignment for you. Go home. Go home. Go back to those folks who, who used to know you. Go back to the folks who remember when you started to lose it. And you used to be all out in the streets screaming at your mama. Go back to them. 
Go back to the people who no doubt have heard the rumors about the state that you've been in, living in the tombs and chains, acting a fool, not wearing any underwear. Go, go back to those folks. Go back to your parents who, you know, just hang their head in shame whenever your name is mentioned. Go back to them. Go back to the employer that you flaked on because your issues had just outgrown your capacity to hide them. Go back to them. There is, you know, the people on the speaking circuit, the people at my crusades, Jesus might say, they don't know you and your story might ring true and it might inspire somebody, but it won't have near the effect that it will have on people who used to know you back when. And so Jesus, like this man, he sends us home. He sends us back to our old high school friends who knew you back in the day when you would sleep with anybody who would have you. When you could be provoked about just about anything to fight, to cuss and holler and scream. When you got good at stealing and lying, you were great at it. You helped others cheat and be dishonest. Go back to your parents who you've been estranged from because you were just so unmanageable, such a handful. What a testament of God's goodness, his glory, his delivering power for you to go back to them and show them and tell them what Jesus has done for you. We're talking about the power of your story. How many stories have been amassed in this room that aren't being shared for some silly reason. God didn't clean you up to try to be somebody, you know, you know, important. God didn't free you and deliver you so you'd pretend like you've never been through anything, like you've always just been baking cookies and pies and on the PTA, that's who you are now. But you used to be something else. I know, I know you. Not you, but the person next to you. And what Jesus says is, go tell your story. Go tell your story. We talked last week about the proclamation. We talked the week before about understanding the gospel and being able to explain it. But some of you aren't there yet. Frankly, some of you will never really be good at that for whatever reason. But I said it at the beginning. I'll say it now. Nobody can beat you telling your story. Nobody can beat you telling your story. And so this, some of us feel indicted today and convicted today that we have, you know, such a testimony of God's goodness. My testimony that I used to be insecure about, it, you know, my father used to tell me all the time, my father, for some of you who heard my father's story, career criminal, was into pimping and prostitution, drug trafficking, sticking up people, just career criminal. My mother was right along with him. And my father would often say to me, son, my, 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 my testimony is that God delivered me from all of that stuff my prayer for you, son, he would say, is that God would keep you from all those things. But I don't want to hear that. I sit through hundreds of testimony services where people just got up, and I realized that a lot of people were lying. You know, they got up and just told these grand testimonies of God's just ripping them from the grips of death and angels appearing and, you know, all sorts of things. And I just thought, what story do I have? But the longer I do this, listen, the longer I do this, and the more young people I I talk to, the more 
I realize that many of these kids don't even know that it's possible to get to your adult life without being consumed with alcohol and drugs. When I tell people that I was blessed enough and fortunate enough to have my wife be the only person that I've ever had sex with, it, it, it blows their mind. They didn't know that people still did that. And it's not by my own power and strength. I look back on some situations where I, you know, it should have happened, right? But my story is that God kept me. Now, to keep that light under a bush is spiritually criminal. But somebody needs to know that. Somebody needs to know that God doesn't need to work a miracle on everybody's life and, you know, upset, you know, their history and rescue them from the jaws of hell. Some, some of us can just make good decisions when we're 10 and 15 and 20 and 21 and be married to the same person for life and to not have outside kids. I'm not judging anybody that does. I'm just saying that that could be some of our story. And it's a powerful testament, testament of God's goodness and his great care for us. So, preacher, what's your point? My point is, it doesn't matter what your story is. God wants to use it for his glory. He wants to use it for his glory. And so I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to ask Mandy Speakman to come up because we're going to do an exercise right now because some of us aren't acquainted with our story. I realize also that when the preacher's telling you to go evangelize and be bold and stick your neck out there, you're like, yeah, you get paid to do this. It's not weird for you to talk about Jesus because people know you're a preacher. They, they've already resigned you to be nuts already. But you're talking about regular people uh, talking about Jesus. Sometimes it can feel like, so I've asked Mandy to come and share a bit of her story to encourage us just from a layperson's perspective. And she'll also lead us in an exercise where we'll get really familiar with our story. Ladies and gentlemen, Mandy Speakman. Hi. Um, good to see you again. I did announcements. Um, if you came in um, a little bit late, I just want to kind of tell my, my uh, background a little bit. Um, I've been at the SSB for about four years, and I've been a Christian for most of my life, actually. Um, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old. I grew in my faith when I was in high school. I went to a Christian college. I attended... Um, I, I worked at a couple of different Christian nonprofits, and I still do now. So I'm very familiar with Jesus. Um, I've been in the Christian community for a long time. Um, but I'm here to tell you that I have been completely terrified of evangel evangelism. Completely. Um, I've always hated that word. I have always cringed at that word. Um, I've actually always pictured evangelism happening in two ways, or that it should happen in two ways. Um, the number one way would be a radical Christian standing in the middle of a public square on a soapbox shouting about Jesus. That's how I picture evangelism and how, for some reason, I don't know, I was maybe taught that when I was a kid, that you should evangelize in that way. Um, another a way that I've thought evangelism should be carried out is, um, you know, another radical Christian knocking on someone's door and saying, hi, I'm Mandy. Uh, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Now, both of those ways, I don't want anything to do with, honestly. Like, I've just, that scares me. I don't want to do that. I don't think I'd be good at that. So thinking of that, you know, I have to reframe how evangelism looks. Um, I've really, you know, grown in my faith, and now I understand that evangelism looks very differently for everybody. God has given each of us gifts and talents and personalities that he wants to use to impact people for Jesus. 
Um, I've really learned that your presence is so important and many times it speaks louder than words. So Gino talked last week about presence versus proclamation. So your presence is the way you live your life, the choices that you make, the people you associate with. Um, that is very, very powerful. People see the way you respond to others. They see how you act on your worst day. They see how you act on your best day. So your presence speaks um, you know, positivity. It speaks negativity. So it's not saying that you have to be perfect, but as Christians, our life will speak um, as a result of Jesus' work in us, right? So if Jesus has done a mighty work in us, and if we have been changed, our lives should show that. Um, I am pretty good at the presence thing. I, I understand the weight of my presence. I understand that it can, you know, be very influential. But again, my proclamation doesn't always happen. I've been very ashamed of Jesus. I've been embarrassed by Jesus. I have a problem called people-pleasing. And so I really want to be cool many times, and Jesus isn't that cool to the world, right? So, so I've been, yeah, good at the presence thing, not so good at the proclamation thing, but I've really had to understand, and I'm still trying to understand, that um, I need to care more about the state of people's hearts than what they think of me. Um, people may think I'm a prude, they may think I'm lame, or whatever, but if Jesus has really changed me, then I'm going to want to shout it out. I'm going to want to tell people about it, right? Those fears are going to get less and less. Um, yeah, so I have, to, I have to get to the point that I have to care about the state of people's hearts. And I don't always... Um, allow myself to think of that. I normally justify not talking to somebody about Jesus or not offering to pray for someone. I think, oh, they're too busy or I'm too busy or they're crabbier, I'm crabbier. You know, whatever it is, I justify it. Um, and so I really have to think about the state of their heart. Like, what could Jesus do in their life? What do they need right now? I may not know. Only Jesus does. So when we're obedient, God can do so much more. Yes, he's always gracious to us, right? But when we are obedient, like, mountains move. It's amazing. And it's not because of us. It's because of him. Um, just a few things that I've learned in just allowing the evangelism thing to be easier. Um, you have to just keep growing in your relationship with Jesus. If you're stagnant in your faith, then you're not going to share about Jesus. You're just not. So, to make it easier, I think we can keep growing in Jesus, and those fears, like I said, are going to get less and less. Um, building relationships with people is so huge. Jesus may call us to speak to a stranger about him, but many times it's through relationships. Um, when we have a relationship with someone, we have credibility to speak into their life because they trust us and because they know us, right? So, yeah, relationships are huge, and so hopefully they're going to trust you when, you when you tell them about Jesus because they're going to see that you're not just trying to get them to your side. You're, you're trying to share it, the hope that you have. Um, another thing, share on social media. I really had to practice saying Jesus' name on social media. There's a difference between saying, like, oh, God's good and Jesus is good. I think Gino talked about that last week. Um, there's more weight when you say Jesus. 
um, people, people understand that maybe you're more serious about your walk when you say, like, Jesus is good and this is why. So I'm not saying you have to share your whole life on social media, but when you share, like, experiences that you've gone through and Jesus has worked, like, say his name. Say his name, and that helps you to take that fear away. Um, so we're not the ones to win people to Jesus. Jesus is the one to win people to Jesus. Okay, so when we are obedient, he can do so much more, and he can blow our minds. So right now, we want to take you through an exercise. It came in your bulletin, so you, everyone should have one. Um, if you don't, raise your hand. We'll pass them out. So this is just a tool for you to understand the high points and even the low points of your story and to identify what Jesus has done and what you need to share with people. Okay, so I'll just read these questions really quick and then we'll take some time. What was your life before you heard, what was your life like before you heard about Jesus? What was the turning point in your life that brought you to Jesus? Was there a specific person in your life that helped introduce you to Jesus? If so, who? How has life changed for you now that you have engaged a life with Jesus? And what is one significant thing that Jesus has done in your life since you've come to know him? So we just want to take a few minutes. Um, I would encourage you to not overthink this. Like, just write down, you know, what comes to mind quickly and just don't write a book. Just write, like, you know, one to three sentences. Um, be, be, you know, brief with it. But just let your thoughts flow, and this will really help you to take that fear away and that um, feeling maybe not prepared to tell people about Jesus. So we're going to take a few minutes, and then Gina will come back up. I also want to just uh, say that we realize that everybody here may not be following Jesus, and so this isn't some exercise that forces you to do something that you want to do. In fact, if you don't want to do this, feel free not to do it, right? We just didn't want to send this home with you because this would just end up under the Cheez-Its, you know, in the pantry somewhere. But we want to give you some space here to do this so that you can begin thinking about this and you'll be surprised at what writing things out helps you to internalize. So we're going to give you about five minutes to do this and then I'll close this. I'm going to do it as well. So just take a minute, uh, a few seconds to finalize your thoughts. And some of you um, will feel like, I mean, you, you could have written a whole lot more on this. And so we tried to specifically be strategic about the questions that we put on here. So it get you thinking about these things. And, and what you, many of you have found is you didn't have to think very long about some of these questions, but you never really think about these things, right? And so once you compile these facts about who you used to be and the various turning points in your life and the people that God has used, and even that last question, what are some significant things that, I mean, some of you ran out of space as you begin to write those. These are all tools that God has given us, little elements of our story that he expects us to use when we encounter people. Again, people aren't our projects. You know, we're not, we don't have some quota system. Well, how many people did you win this week? How many people are you going to give a toaster to the person who's, you know, shared their story the most? This, this is, isn't that, right? But rather, this is acquainting us, and for some of us, reacquainting us with the reality that this is what we're called to do. And we're taking evangelism and sharing our faith out of the realm of the heavenlies where only the special professional Christians get to do it 
Uh, but understanding that this is what we're called to do. And we're proclaiming the gospel and good news, the good news and having a handle on that is really, really important. There's nothing quite as unique, nothing quite as powerful as your story. Put a different way, if you tell me, hey, you should go eat at that restaurant, I may not ask you, but what's the one thing I'm thinking? Did you eat there? <laughs> What'd you have when you went there? What's good? I want to know, has this, has this worked for you, right? And so we're not sending you to, to, to a dying world with just some technical, truthful you know, facts about Jesus. We're pairing that with your story and what God has done in your life. And worship team, you can come, come up as we close. So I want you to give some serious thought to the issues or the places that God has delivered you from, and some of you are still in process. And I want you to begin to think about that. I want you to also think about the ways that God has delivered you. And some of you will have a different vantage point on deliverance because you still might have some of those things hanging around in your life. You've just noticed that they don't quite have the same power and control that they used to. And I want all of us this week to be focusing in on our assignment. Go home. Go to the place where you work. Go to the place where you go to school. Go to the place where you play. Go to the marketplace, particularly where people know you and they can see what God has done in your life. I think you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed this week at all the opportunities you have. Things that you didn't uh, you recognize before, all the opportunities that you have to share your story and to share God's kingdom light and love, you will be surprised. Now, when you go with you, make sure you take some of those Easter invites with you because <laughs> some of us just feel like, just come to church. I, I think the preacher can say it better. No, we're going to have a great time on Easter weekend, but there are invites on this table just to, the, to, the, to my right here and on the back welcome table. This is going to be a big part of us telling uh, our story and God's story. And next week, we're going to focus on come and see, right? Come with me and see what God has done. In, inviting, an invitation. But we can begin by inviting people this week. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to just cement what he's spoken to us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your power. Thank you for the confidence that you're giving us to do this. I even thank you, Lord, for the new ways that we've uh, begin to revalue our story. Lord, I, I see you removing insecurity and taking away things, Lord, that keep us silent and keep us stuck. And Lord, you're pushing us out to be light, pushing us out of the salt shaker, Lord, to be salt. And Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes so that we can see all of these opportunities that you've given us to share your good news with those who need you most. Give us confidence and help us see the fruit of our saying yes to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.